Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hi, everybody. I am so excited for today's episode because Whitney Brown, our guest, is going to walk you through how to find and acquire new donors, specifically on Facebook. Yeah, this is uh, this is a huge one. Everyone, uh, you know, I think sometimes people get overly fixated on acquiring new donors instead of taking care of the ones they already have. But in this case, like this is, you know, it, both things have to ha- have to happen, right? And so, uh, so in this case, talking about uh, the potential uh, of Facebook to draw those new donors in uh, and and steward them along a, a path to long term engagement, super key, so important, and it's such a great resource in terms of really being focused in your donor acquisition. And what I love about using Facebook advertising for that, and if you missed the episode with Sarah Ali around Facebook advertising, you have to listen. That will be in the show notes. But really, Whitney takes you through what the donor journey is. So Sarah covers all the technical aspects. And Whitney walks us through, first of all, who you're targeting how to find them and how to engage them in a meaningful way before and leading up to asking them for a donation. And so Mm -hmm. it's really that full journey. And then of course, what continues once they've made the gift so that you keep them engaged and giving. That's right. And I think that the kind of the key takeaway is, you know, there's two different messages, um, you know, that you can use on Facebook. One is just sort of informing people of, of your work and your activities, but, but this is a different kind of a messaging because it's about acquisition. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, we don't, um, keep the line between those two types of messages clear enough. Um, and that this will help sort of distinguish those two types of communication. Absolutely. And the great thing about Facebook advertising for this type of acquisition is that you can track and measure everything. And you don't really need sophisticated technologies outside of the Facebook tool and a good email marketing tool. And most of those are free for or for nonprofits. And really, you can track and understand exactly what outcomes you get for your investment and what small organization doesn't want that, right? Yeah, exactly. When when budgets are, are limited, they have to work uh, uh, doubly as hard. And, um, you know, Facebook definitely provides the tools for you to be able to uh, to track that return on investment. So why not give it a shot, I say. Exactly. So if you've been curious about Facebook fundraising or advertising specifically around donor acquisition, definitely put this on repeat. Whitney uh, lays it all out for you. So Here is our conversation with Whitney Brown, who is the Digital Director of Public Outreach. Um, She's an experienced digital strategist. Her background is in political and issue-based digital campaigning. And as the Digital Director of Public Outreach, she is responsible for building and executing multi-channel engagement campaigns that generate new leads for organizations and converting supporters into donors. She's fabulous. You definitely don't want to miss this. Have a great listen. Whitney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm so excited to have you here because I think that this topic is so important, especially 
for small organizations. And uh, we're going to be talking about digital fundraising, specifically around donor acquisition, which everyone wants new donors, right? That is sort of a (laughs) universal truth in our sector. So tell us a little bit about overall strategy on how we should be thinking about this. Yeah, that's a great question. I think what's key about this is it's not just the acquisition uh, component that makes, you know, someone a brand new supporter, a successful donor and a a lasting donor. It's actually the parts in between even to get to the very end of that donation. Um, And so, you know, the way that we work is we think also about the cultivation and that stewardship as being part of acquisition and really essential to keep a brand new person in your organization and to prime them for that donation ask. Yeah. And I think that's so important. What a lot of people don't understand, which we'll talk about, is that it's you're generally not asking people to donate right away. No. And it's different than traditional donor acquisition through mail where you send an appeal to a rented list or a borrowed list uh, and hope for a response. And then it, your relationship starts with them. This is actually looking at building the relationship into an ask. So start. let's start with the beginning. Uh, how do we find people? And then what do we do to start to build that relationship? For sure. Um, I think a great thing to kind of you know think about as you go on this journey is to try and mirror anything that you would be doing offline, so in person. Um, a lot of the things that we do as we develop not only a campaign issue, but any kind of, you know, ad copy or email communication is it's really meant to be a one-to-one, a real person to a real person talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And so when we're thinking, the first thing you kind of want to think about in terms of basics is what is that campaign issue? Mm-hmm. For a lot of charities and nonprofits, sometimes, you know, the idea of advocacy is quite scary. They're afraid of, you know, reaching out to decision makers. You know, maybe that might be, you know, federal, provincial, uh, you know, state representatives, uh, people who have a lot of power. And so the idea of coming up with a campaign issue that might, you know, impact their relationship with those people uh, is quite scary. Um, And so what we recommend is trying to find a way to develop an issue that is really central to your organization's mission and mandate, Mm -hmm. and then making that as compelling urgent, uh, and relatable as possible. And really the mm-hmm. intention is to draw a supporter in to kind of, you know, catch their attention, maybe shock them or give them a surprise, perhaps a knowledge or curiosity gap, uh, that might kind of get them in your, in the, in the front door so that you can begin that one-to-one conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically we're taking something that is sort of core to what we do and finding people based on their interest in that, which I think makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about that call to action. Like how do you actually, let's say you have a really uh, great issue campaign because what I'm hearing from you is this is, it starts with with the issue, but that issue continues throughout the campaign all the way to when you're asking for the donation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the campaign. It's the full process. Uh, But the first step is really that um, the strong issue that you want people to take notice of and then take action on. So how do we take action or what kind of action do we want people to take? 
Yeah, I think the key is kind of narrow it down to that nugget that is, you know, in some ways, ideally achievable, or at the very least specific enough that there's no one else doing this work, or that Mm -hmm. it's an angle supporters have never seen before. Um, For a lot of organizations that might meet that mean a petition uh, to decision maker, you know, uh, an email, a rep, um, it might mean a toolkit to download, you know, you know, you have a particular area of expertise as an organization that you might be able to share knowledge that they can't get anywhere else. Uh, it might be to attend an event, um, something that, you know, is very unique and special, maybe has attendees that no one would be able to interact with otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's kind of uh, uh, important component of a call to action. Uh, as I mentioned before, I think the second piece that's really important is how to make it urgent. Um, mm-hmm. For some organizations, that's really easy. It can be time bound. Um, you know, let's say there's, um, you know, a specific deadline, whether that's a political deadline or an industry deadline or something that you can attach to. Um, for other organizations, it's not as easy, but having something like, you know, we need 15,000 supporters to bring this forward to parliament, um, setting some kind of condition that essentially drives a supporter to want to help out and make a difference on this issue, um, and that they can't kind of second guess themselves and think, oh, I'll do that tomorrow. Um, and so that sense of urgency and kind of compelling content to get people to to think about it for a minute um, is what you're really looking for in a strong call to action. Mm-hmm. Can you give us, um, let's say, an example of a download or something that has been that really successful? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. One of the organizations uh, that we work closely with uh, focuses on uh, youth mental health and homelessness. And mm-hmm. so they have a toolkit on kind of a par- almost like a parent's guide to harm reduction uh, and what to do in a situation of an overdose. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's information that, you know, sure, you could probably go to a governmental website and find a very official kind of report on what to do, but it's quite accessible. And I think for the most part, parents wouldn't be able to find that anywhere else. And yeah. so you're making this, you know, a very enticing kind of piece of information, a knowledge or curiosity gap that they may not have had before. Yeah. Let's talk about using that example, um, taking a step back and the advertising and targeting mm-hmm. for something like that. Because what we talked about in our previous episode with Sarah is our ability to get really specific with Mm -hmm. targeting. So how would a campaign like that find uh, its audience? That's a great question. I think it's important kind of as you endeavor on a campaign like this to think about who your audience is. For an organization uh, that I was just referencing, they're probably going to have two large groups of audiences. One are going to be their supporters, you know, their, you know, probably their potential donors or existing donors And the other side might be, you know, uh, folks in the community uh, or, you know, people who are taking or you're able to benefit from the services that they're providing. Mm -hmm. What I would recommend to an organization like that is, you know, really hone in on what you want from a campaign like this. If it is donors, um, focus on that first kind of, you know, group and audience. Um, And that doesn't mean we don't engage the second one, but I think the content will be curated with a slightly different purpose. Uh, So if we keep in mind with that first group, I'd say, uh, you know, in terms of best practices, you know, being able to, you know, safely and securely uh, make use of various data files. Mm -hmm. What I recommend to most organizations as a starting point is 
any uh, list that is your kind of your non-donors or your email subscribers, um, your, your one-time donors, you know, both recent and in years past, and your current uh, monthly donors. And what I generally do is we recommend to kind of use those lists as a starting point to build lookalike audiences. Um, you know, of course, you know, there's things that you can do to kind of narrow that down further. Um, you know, if you're an organization that has a very geographic uh, focus, then obviously, you know, limit to that. Um, and I think as well, you know, in, in Sarah's episode, she references things like age targeting and other kind of demographic pieces that might help you get at your best possible donor. Absolutely. So now that we have this call to action, um, I'm going to assume that what we want from in exchange for uh, the advocacy or the download is an email address. Is that fair? Or can we keep this online? No, we want an email address. I, I would recommend an email address. And again, part of this is mapping out kind of what you want and how you best communicate with supporters. Um, you know, every organization is different, but at the bare minimum, I think an email address is quite important. Um, for some of the organizations we work with, uh, phone number is actually important as well. Um, mm. And so, you know, you know, digital best practices always say, you know, put as few fields as possible. And that is absolutely true. What I would say is depending on how you like to communicate with supporters, having a phone number field that's optional. Email is absolutely, um, you know, a key kind of piece of data to have uh, if you'd like to speak to supporters. But I think as well, it depends a lot on who you are as an organization and how you like to communicate. For a lot of organizations that we work with, they actually do prefer to phone uh, new supporters, um, in particular in terms of making a monthly donor app down the line. They like to have that data available, uh, mm-hmm. make it a little bit more personal, a little bit more one-on-one. So now that we have someone's email and maybe even phone number, what do we do next? What are our next steps? So I'd say uh, really important, it's important to have a first, great first impression for a new supporter. Mm-hmm. Uh, most kind of platforms you use for, you know, entering a form has generally an auto response. Um, and then from there, what we would recommend is an email uh, cultivation series or a welcome series that kind of introduces to you and the organization uh, over a period of time. Um, depending on, you know, what's possible for an organization that can be as few as three emails or as many as eight or even more. Mm -hmm. But really the goal with this email series is to move this new supporter from the issue and kind of, you know, really, you know, hone in on what that issue is and why it's important, but then over to values the organization holds. And the reason why we do that is really just to prime them for that fundraising ask that we're going to put to them down the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during that time, kind of during that journey, we really try to kind of get them to learn different parts of who the organization is. That can come from senders, so sending from different people within that organization, but also various programmatic areas. Mm -hmm. So if they care about one issue, introduce them to a second thing that you work on, a second pillar of the organization's work uh, to try and deepen that knowledge, commitment, and kind of general good feeling about the organization that will confirm to them that, you know, they did a great thing by signing that action or downloading that toolkit. And now that they keep reading, they're doing more and more great things uh, to become part of this organization's community. Mm -hmm. Stop the podcast just for a second. 
I just wanted to take a second to remind our listeners uh, who may not know that this uh, podcast is brought to you by The Good Partnership and Charity Village. So a lot of people don't know that both of our organizations are deeply committed to making sure that there are tons of great resources available to small nonprofits in our sector. And so I want you to take a minute to go and access some of those great free resources. For The Good Partnership, you can visit thegoodpartnership.com and specifically on our homepage or visit thegoodpartnership.com slash guide, you can download a free resource that outlines all different kinds of fundraising strategies you might want to consider for your organization. And for charityvillage.com, there's so many webinars and of course the podcast, um, articles, the list is endless. And of course you can post jobs there, volunteer positions, uh, posting is free. So make sure that you are checking out both websites to deepen your learning and continue to access great free stuff. Great tips, Cindy. Now on the podcast. Any sort of key things that you see organizations not do well in that process that we should avoid? Oh, um, <laughs> for sure. Uh, what I would say is, you know, the, what's great about a campaign is there's space to do testing mm-hmm. and experimentation. I would say that, you know, despite, you know, various feelings on how uh, flooding people's inboxes can kind of go from an organizational perspective. I'd say that email is actually a great place to challenge your assumptions about how you, uh, you know, run an email series. Uh, most organizations, or, or rather, you know, a good many, particularly some of the bigger ones, they generally don't send from real people in the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'd recommend that as a great test. You know, send from the executive director, send from the program manager, send from the you know, education officer, whoever it might be in your organization, the different perspectives, um, voices, and, you know, quirks um, that make people who they are in that organization. Mm -hmm. And so building out a tone of voice for each of those senders is important. But I actually think that that's something that a lot of organizations are afraid to do that absolutely pays off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would say is, you know, you know, do your best to kind of speak as a real person. The way that I recommend writing emails is as much as possible, pretend that you are that sender writing to one individual supporter Mm -hmm. and assume that that supporter is a dear friend. And so when you write a subject line, you know, don't make it so formal, make it something that you would write to a friend. When you write that email, you know, talk about, you know, that individual's experience and how that relates to something they'd like to learn about. Um, you know, the, I kind of say my, the biggest victory for me is when someone replies back and says, oh, thanks, that was so great. Um, and they actually feel like they're talking to that one person yes. in your organization. I love that. That is such a great insight. Mm-hmm. And I'd say as well, always give people something else to do. When mm-hmm. I, in a journey, it's really almost like you're climbing a ladder or whatever it might be, um, but you're trying to deepen their investment in your organization. And so, you know, it's great to share information, but, you know, always make it actionable. Always make it, you know, essentially to take the next step. And that doesn't mean immediately to jump to, hey, will you pitch in $10? What that can mean is watch this, you know, new video, um, you know, read this report that we produced, um, you know, uh, attend this event that's coming up in your area. Give people something to do so that they feel like they're continuing to contribute 
to either the success of that campaign or more generally to your organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Those are great tips. So now that people are warmed up and we're getting them to take issue-based action and learn more about the organization and connect, feel like they're connecting personally with uh, whoever is sending these emails, Mm -hmm. um, they're nice and warm. What, how do we sort of transition that into an ask? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, The way that I would treat that is kind of, you know, choose your best people to pose that question to. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of the way that we do that, obviously, is through looking at kind of overall email engagement Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of crafting a subset of an audience that we think are best able to actually, you know, are most primed, I guess, to say, um, ready for a donation. And so we recommend generally, you know, if we're doing, let's say, an six email series over a course of 45 days, if people open probably four of those six emails and clicked on every single one of them, you can probably bet that they're pretty invested and they care Mm -hmm. a lot about this organization. And they're probably not afraid to, you know, receive an ask. And so depending on what's possible for small organizations, sometimes the easiest thing to do is to send an email for others. They might have wonderful board members or great volunteers who aren't afraid to pick up the phone. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, from an email fundraising point of view, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask and to be very clear and tangible about what you're asking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that means including the dollar amount itself. Don't be afraid to say, hey, we need $30. Um, don't be afraid to say this is urgent because of this reason. It's timely. Uh, this is why I'm asking for it now. And I think most importantly, also don't be afraid to ask more than once. With email right now, we're working with kind of a, a measure of, you know, of, you know, one in, you know, ideally, you know, three or 30%, 25% open rates. Um, We're really, you know, we're kind of gambling with who we're actually reaching. Mm -hmm. So with that assumption, you know, only 25% people opened that first email, you still haven't spoken to those remaining 75% that you think might be willing to give a gift. And so don't be afraid to ask two or three times and and do your best to kind of target them um, individually. Mm-hmm. One thing we like to do is kind of I call it maybe a go send um, or a kicker email, which is that it only reaches people who didn't open that one mm-hmm. fundraising email. And so you're not inundating someone who did kindly, you know, make that donation. You're not annoying them, but rather you're only reaching people who haven't yet heard uh, heard your ask. Um, and sometimes that might mean changing the sender, the subject line, even maybe the pitch in a slightly different way mm-hmm. to grab their attention. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that function. And most email uh, services, email marketing services have that. Exactly. So we're asking, and as you said, you know, especially these days, you can try different channels. It doesn't have to be a one and done kind of ask, but, uh, Mm -hmm. and then there's ways to follow up people who are not as engaged uh, with the specific ask email. someone makes a donation, they reply or respond. Uh, How do we, that's really the true beginning of the, of the next phase. So how do we then work with these donors to make them feel amazing about their contribution? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, you know, a great first start is to really recognize them as soon as it happens. And so that really is having a built in 
uh, auto response again that, you know, says, yes, you just gave this gift of this amount. Here's a receipt. You know, we're so excited. This is what it's going to making sure you have, you know, that first kind of interaction as a new donor uh, in place. I think your next step is to really tag them and forevermore treat them differently. Mm. When we write emails, let's say that are intended to go up to an entire organization's list, we make sure to at least at minimum segment them into three groups, non-donors uh, or, you know, new people who haven't uh, given in the past, one-time donors who have given before and we think maybe would probably give again, and then monthly donors. And we might write the same kind of general email, but every single one acknowledges their previous level of engagement. Mm-hmm. So for one-time donors, we might say something as simple as, I know you've given in the past, uh, but we really need your help again. Or I know you've given in the past, you know, we thought you might love to read this report. Uh, and then similarly to a monthly donor, and something to the effect of, you know, we know that you've been with us uh, over the years. We know that you, you know, understand how important, you know, this organization is, but how about this? Or would you be interested in reading this, watching this video? Mm-hmm. Every interaction acknowledges that a donor has given and might give again, and that you actually really appreciate their investment in you. Excellent. A side question almost is mm-hmm. how much of this talk to me about the different integrations. Like how much of this can happen within a database and segmenting and uh, interaction with your digital ads? Um, and how much of this, and, and if it is happening within, with the data, within the database, are there any that you've seen are very effective for smaller organizations that are not necessarily super expensive? Because we see a lot of organizations struggle just to segment their lists. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a pain point that I think organizations big and small feel. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, what's tough about a database is sometimes you feel very stuck and it's it's incredibly painful to shift away and adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't want to kind of do any product placements or, or recommend anything specifically, but we do generally use tools that have integrations in ideally two of the three platforms that we'd really like to mm-hmm. use. And so in the past, you know, we have worked with clients who use Nation Builder as an example, not necessarily because they're the best at doing everything. Uh, I don't think there's any tool that really has the one-fits-all solution. Mm-hmm. But what they offer is a database with the ability to segment, uh, monitor uh, social media interactions, and send mm-hmm. emails. And so for us, you know, being able to quickly do that and in some ways have an ecosystem that's separate from the organizational kind of difficulties that they're struggling with really allows us to get a campaign off the ground. So for a really small uh, organization, something that can ideally speak to your email platform, your database and your email platform is probably what you're looking for. Thank you for that. Cause I definitely know that that's something everyone's thinking about. Um, Now, do you continue stewardship uh, digitally with this group now that they've given uh, and over time? Or how do, how do you, I mean, you talked about that segmenting in terms of regular communications, one-time donors, regular donors, mm-hmm. non-donors. Does that translate mm-hmm. online and offline basically in perpetuity? 
Ideally, yes. Um, I mean, things that we've done with other organizations after they've gotten a bunch of new donors in the door could include sending uh, or ideally running an, a campaign for direct to donate ads on Facebook. Mm. And you're just going to speak to people that you know have already given and are likely to give again. Um, and so that way you can talk, you know, with a little bit more insider knowledge or, um, you know, more detailed content that they might understand. Mm. Essentially, what you're doing is forevermore, you're able to meet them where they're at. You know how they came in. You know what emails they received in terms of what knowledge they hold about your organization. And then you also know how to talk to them because they care that they gave you money. And so you get to continue to acknowledge that and really respect that in all of the different channels that you use forevermore. Amazing. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot of ground already and really we've walked through that whole like finding the right people, taking, uh, encouraging them to take action on an issue they care about, uh, that is sort of core to your organization, cultivating them in a meaningful way and deepening that relationship to the ask and then to stewarding that relationship and meeting them where they are and continuing to engage with them. Uh, in a meaningful way. Is there anything we're missing? I think I think the key is is as well, you know, not not depending on, you know, something really exciting in the news cycle to come mm. up to continue to steward supporters forevermore. Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of organizations uh, really lean on things like e-newsletters as a way to kind of communicate with supporters. What I would recommend to small organizations is to test whether that actually is being helpful for supporters mm -hmm. and instead, you know, come up with, you know, a regular content calendar of stuff that you know that people will care about. Mm -hmm. Remember that new people in your door will have never seen the content about, you know, a blog post about an incredible story or a report you wrote two years ago or an infographic that you shared on Facebook several months ago. The reality is new people coming through the door don't have that kind of insight and knowledge of things that you've done in the past. So come up with a content calendar that showcases your best mm. work and think about when you want to pump that out throughout the year. Um, you know, you might have maybe a month where you just do a ton of stories. And so you kind of have three or four stories that you kind of have, you know, pre-scheduled that you'd love to share with supporters. And you know that those, you know, stories are really going to tug at heartstrings. And then the next month, you know, you're going to run a little email series uh, to ask for one-time gifts. So again, what you're secretly doing is, is priming supporters to remember how great they feel about mm -hmm. you and the work that you do. And then, you know, you've scheduled in your mind that, you know, March is the fundraising month and that's when we're going to, um, you know, make a couple asks. And so, you know, set yourself up throughout the year to continue to talk to people, not just when things come up that are really exciting or they'll definitely highlight that, but don't feel forced just to have a, a monthly e-newsletter because that's what you should do. Think instead about building that storytelling and kind of interest and deepening commitment throughout mm -hmm. the year. I heard someone about their business talk about wanting to or doing a 12-month uh, onboarding automation for new uh, email addresses that they get, uh, which mm -hmm. I thought was so interesting. So instead of putting them into their regular email list, they have a 12-month period where their content is very curated and that journey is very specific. And then after that, mm -hmm. they get added to the to the general list. So I think there's oh. something brilliant there. I haven't had the time to do it ourselves, but 
I would love to test that. that. I mean, I think that that's really the dream because what you're really doing is taking care of your mm-hmm. supporters. You're taking care of your people. You're being authentic and sincere and, you know, leading them on a journey that is personal and customized uh, and acknowledging where they're at in that process. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Whitney, where can our listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, as I, as you know, work at Public Outreach. So our website is publicoutreachgroup.com. Uh, and I'm on Twitter at wit underscore says. And so you can definitely reach me there as well. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and expertise. I know that this will be something our listeners go back to again and again, because it is affordable and meaningful and hopefully can help them uh, build their donor base. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.